0: Before I I share, uh, Pastor Lenny would like to meet with all of those who have signed up for the Mario Murillo Crusade tomorrow and Tuesday. Um, He wants to meet with all of you at 4 o'clock today to give you uh, all of the incidentals that go with uh, being an altar worker at a crusade that is not ours. And we have always partnered with Mario Murillo, he has been an evangelist for many, many years. Um, And it's great, and it's free. It's at Chabot College, so if you can uh, make it. It's on Monday and Tuesday. Take the unsaved. Take your friends. Take everybody. I think it's a great, great opportunity. And then after they go there, they say, well, you know what? You've been here. Why don't you just come on down and go to church? So I think it's a great opportunity for you to be able to share. So um, once again, I'm so glad. You know, as I was talking, there was a part of me that wanted to stop because I've been in a country where they translate. They translate Dutch right next to you, and then they translate in Spanish right next to you. So I have been with Dutch people, German people, Spanish people, um, from Scotland, from Ireland, from England. They all converged in Holland, and I absolutely love this uh, this girl from Ireland. They have I love their accent. She goes, uh, I was practicing it all the way. It was so funny. She goes. I thank the Lord for me salvation and for me husband. <laughs> it was so cute. I was like, I would just love like to tape her and just bring her home. She was just too cute. Really, really cute. And so I've just heard so many dialects this past week. And, um, but I, I was so, so blessed because with this leadership retreat, I used to be the regional over there in Europe. And while I was there, there was about six churches. And now, um, as I went back, there was 20 churches, 20 churches, and they have three of them that are getting ready to be launched out. So they've, they're they on the move there. They're workers. Oh my gosh. The cook, I wanted to, I, I told them, you're coming home with me. <laughs> the, this man cooked like you wouldn't believe. Every morning, every lunch, and every dinner was like a feast, and it, and and he did it all according to the Atkins book, so it was like hardly any calories. So, hey, when you're in Holland, you gotta eat. So I ate. So I I but I had to write him because I think my clothes don't fit me right after <laughs> that whole week. He says it's all really low calorie, but uh, but I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. But it was great, great food. Just a great opportunity for me to go, and and I was truly, truly blessed because of the. The growth that is taking place, and and uh, and it was just it was so nice. You know they were um, thanking me for all the work that I put into there because I used to go to Europe at least twice a year, and and it was a lot of work to bring all the churches together. But man, they got it, and they're they're running. They are really running. One of the things that happened this past week was our election for our new president. And you know, it was really surprising to me is how much the other countries are were so interested in our election. I mean, they you know one of the times that we were sitting around the table, they were we're talking about who's going to win, uh, Obama or McCain, and and I kind of looked around and these women were like adamant. They were all voting. Who do you vote for? And I'm like, excuse me, you guys don't get a chance to vote. But they were all voting, and they were all into it. They watched the news. And, and I asked them, you know, why are you so interested in who our president is? And one of the girls spoke up, and she says, because the United States is a world power, and whoever is in charge, they lead the world. And, and I, I looked around. I go, is that how all of you feel? And they were like, well, yeah. And I just thought, wow, Lord, I I got convicted. Wow, Lord, man, I really need to value the way that our country is run. And I've always had a conviction about voting, and I've already expressed that. To show you how my training has worked, my daughter drove up from LA to Hayward just to vote. And I was like, are you sure you're going to drive up just to vote? She goes, yeah. That's what you taught us? And I'm like, well, yeah, but I, you know, that's still a long way to drive, and she's here, and she voted, and then my other daughter called me. I'm at the airport in New York, ready to catch a flight. She goes, I just wanted to call you and tell you I voted. I go, all right, it worked, it worked, all the training worked. But I do know this, that whether the candidate that you vote for won or the candidate that you vote for lost, I want to let you know one thing, God is still in control. He is still in control. It doesn't matter who has won, actually, because God is still in control. He still reigns. And that's why we need to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Don't forget to pray, pray, pray for our president-elect. There are a lot of people who are not happy about him being the next president. There are people who would like to see him dead and um unfortunately we have we still have racism in this country as much as we would like to say it doesn't exist those of us who live here and have lived here we know it exists it exists in our communities it exists in our prisons it exists in our schools and unfortunately it exists in politics so when you go to prayer pray pray for our president you know uh, if you voted for him or if you didn't vote for him nobody wants to see him killed in a wrong way, for a wrong reason, just because of his color. And so I, I just ask that you would pray for him. And God give him wisdom, much, much wisdom. Well, one of the things that the president was voted for on, and they were giving all the statistics of what the number one reason for their candidate, of why they voted for this person, the reason that they voted for them was the economy. The economy was the number one reason. It was like 69%, and then the Iraq War was like 14%, and everything else was way below. But the economy was the number one reason that people voted the way that they did. And we've been talking about acquiring financial peace, exchanging financial stress with the peace that passes all understanding. And I think that it's important today that we also understand that financial peace doesn't come without a price. The economy that we have been looking at has given us glimpses and glimmers of hope, just a glimmer, because some of the gas prices have come down. How many of you are happy about that? It's been good. Glass prices are down. Interest rates are down. The ability to buy a car has come all the way down. I was watching a commercial on the plane. And there's a commercial on VWs where it says, just your signature alone will buy you a car. How many of you think that's great? Uh, After this message, you won't. (laughs) But just your signature will buy you a car. But at the same time that the interest rates are down and the gas prices are down, people are still losing their jobs. The 401ks are now 201ks. (laughs) Our credit cards are still maxed out. People are still losing their homes to foreclosure. We're still borrowing. Banks are lowering their rates, but the bankruptcies are way, way up, and we're still spending more than we make. Christmas is coming, and some people haven't changed the way that they think about their spending habits. (coughs) George Gallup, he's the one that does a lot of polls. He said that 67% of all couples argue over money. 67%. It is now the number one cause of divorce. 67% argue about it, and 57% of divorces are caused by money. Having financial peace is more than just relieving the stress in your life. The Bible says that God measures our spiritual maturity by the way that we handle our money. How mature are you? God says, how do you handle your money? That's how I'll tell you how mature you are. Did you know that the Bible says that God measures and evaluates how much he can trust us with financial and spiritual blessing according to the way that we handle our finances? Did you know that when you go to heaven, there's going to be rewards? There's going to be responsibilities, and there's going to be assignments in heaven. But how much you're given is in direct relationship to how wise a manager you are here on earth. So I didn't say this. Jesus did. This is what he said in Luke 16, 11. He said, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you cannot handle your worldly wealth, if you can't handle money, Now, how can he give you more blessing? How can he entrust you with more than what you got? The Bible says that the way that you manage your money influences how God blesses you spiritually. How can he bless you with more when you don't take care of what you got now? How much he can trust you with more blessings in your life? He says, if you're not responsible for the pennies and the nickels and the dimes and the dollars that you got in your pocket right now, how can you be responsible with more? How can he trust you with more spiritual blessings and more spiritual responsibilities here on earth if you can't take care of what you got? Those are some very difficult words to swallow. How you manage your money has eternal association so when you want to learn how to handle your money the bible is the guide not all the other books though there's some great books out there and i've even suggested some to you called uh the money makeover that's a great book there's so many all the crown ministry books but when you really want to learn how to handle your money go to the bible the bible is the best guide the wealthiest man in the world ever to this day wrote a book in the bible it's called the book proverbs the wealthiest man in the world was also the wisest man in the world he knew how to make money he knew how to share it with others and he knew how to be able to sh- tell us how to do it also so that's what we're going to do this one we're going to look at his advice biblical advice on money management now there's some of you here that you're saying pastor when are you going to start talking stop talking about money We've been hearing about money for four weeks now. When are you going to stop? Is anybody in this room debt-free? When you're debt-free, then I'll stop. (laughs) Because then that means that you're applying biblical principles. Now, we're not going to have it every Sunday till eternity, but (laughs) don't worry. But I do want to tell you this, that we continually need to learn God's principles for financial freedom and we have to learn how to apply them to our life because when we cannot handle our finances then we will not be able to handle God's blessings they go hand in hand okay so the first step in acquiring financial peace and these are very very basic things okay number one keep documentation Keep documentation. You need to know where your money comes from and where it goes. The Bible calls this the principle of accounting. In Proverbs 27, 23, and 24, it says this, riches can disappear fast. So watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks and herds. When Solomon wrote this scripture, Thousands and thousands of years ago, most people's material wealth was caught up, tied up in either sheep or goats or both. And that's why he says, you need to know the state of your flocks. He says, you need to know the condition of your finances. You need to know what you got. Those sheep and those goats, they were worth money. You need to know what you got. He says, you know the condition. If he were to rewrite it, he would say, Today, know the condition of your stocks, not your flocks, your stocks. He'd say, how much money you got? How much money do you owe? Know your bank account. Know your real estate. Know where your assets are. Know who you are. Keep good accounting. That's just the beginning. Start there. You know, you have to know where your money's coming from, and you have to know where your money is going. See, we've all heard people say, Money talks. Anybody ever heard that? Money talks. Well, I don't know about you, but money just doesn't talk. Money just goes away. It don't say nothing. It just goes away. It doesn't even tell you where it's going. It just goes. One, one minute you had it, next minute it's gone. How many of you have said, I don't even know where all my money went? It was here, and it's gone. If you've ever said that, then that means you're already in trouble. It means that you're violating principle number one, keeping documentation. If you don't know where your money goes, you're already headed for debt. You may already be deep in debt, and you don't even know it. If you're in the dark about how much you make and where it's all going, then you're setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself to get in over your head. You're setting yourself up for depression. You're setting your your marriage up for battles you have to be realistic proverbs twenty three twenty three says know the state of your flocks get the facts how are you really doing if you're married how are you doing as a family if you're single how are you doing as an individual financially you can't keep yourself in the dark you can't keep going and and spending and thinking that it's going to be okay that it'll all work itself out you have to know where your money is going You need to know four things. You need to know what you own. Now, for some of you say, well, I own the clothes that I'm wearing. Do you really? Or are you still paying on your credit card for it? You own your car. Who has the pink slip? You own your house. Who has the mortgage? What do you own? I mean, really own. Then what do you owe? then what do you earn and what do you pay? Those are the four things that you need to know how to keep good records on. Because there's a saying, and this is how it goes. It says, ignorance of your financial condition plus easy credit equals disaster. Let me say that again. Some of it, they may not have caught it. Ignorance of your financial condition plus easy credit equals disaster. I was walking in the airport yesterday, and they always have these people. And they're going, can, we, you know, can I talk to you for a second? Can I talk to you for a second? And I looked behind him, and I saw this big old um, like a, a stand where it's talking about getting a, a visa, an airline visa. And I said, no, 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 I don't have time. And he goes, well, what airline did you fly on? I go, Delta. He goes, you know that I could give you 25,000 air miles if you just sign up right now. And I said, are you talking about getting a credit card? He goes, well, of course. And I said, well, of course, I'm going to have to deny you. And he just kind of looked at me, and I go, I got to go. Bye. (laughs) It's just so easy, so easy to get just another credit card to maybe put all the debts that I have in all these credit cards and put it over instead of just paying them off. If you have credit cards and you're not keeping good records and you're already in debt, and you're probably heading deeper and deeper. One of the major problems in marriages today is that when one spouse keeps a secret about finances from the other spouse. They keep the other spouse in the dark about how much money they really make, how much money they really spend, how much Money, they really got stashed. All the little details, that happens in a marriage. But you need to shine the light on the darkness. You need to get it out and not withhold information. Those of you who are married, you know what you got to do. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about being dishonest. If you want God's blessings on your finances, you need to be honest with yourself and with your spouse. Keep a record of your spending and a record of your savings. Some of you say, I don't really like to do this, or I don't even know how. Well, there are a lot of people. Some are in this church, and some are, they actually have organizations who can help you get your finances together. We have people in this church who know how to handle finances. They do it very well. And they can help you. In January, we're going to be holding a financial seminar. Some of you are saying, wait, don't wait till January. I need to know Now. How to handle it. Well, no, what you really need to know now is how to handle biblical principles and applying them to your life. Don't look for a way on how to get out of what you're supposed to do. So stop stressing about your finances and start writing things down. So just that you know where you're going. The Bible says know the state of your finances. Know the state of your flocks. Secondly, you need to plan your spending. Plan your spending. This is budget, that bad, bad word, budget. A budget means planned spending. Some of you are thinking, how is this going to help me? I mean, I came over here ready to hear something that is going to be biblical and something that is going to be, you know, powerful. Well, when you get your finances together, then you'll know the power of God. You'll know what he wants you to do. A budget is telling your money where you want it to go, rather than wondering where it went. All of us need to keep a budget, every single one of us. And if you don't have a budget, then you're headed for financial disaster. You'll never be financially free if you don't live by a budget. You need to plan your spending. What I'm telling you to do is that you need to start planning for 2009 what is going to be your budget? What are you going to do? What are you going to spend? What are you not going to spend? How are you going to save? How are you going to give? Don't just go through life drifting and spending and wondering and doubting and being thoughtless and saying, well, I think I know where all my money went. You need to plan your spending. Proverbs 21.5 says this, plan carefully and you will have enough if you act too quickly, you'll never have enough. Now, what is this verse saying? This verse is saying that when you have, when you get financial peace, it's not because of how much money you make. See, that's one of the biggest myths in society. Some of you think, if I just made a little bit more money, I'd be financially free. No, you won't. If you can't live on what you're making right now, you will not be able to live with $500 more a month, or 1000 Listen, you will not be financially free if you make more money. Why? Because your yearnings always exceed your earnings. The things that you want are always more than how much money you make. You're always going to want more than what you make, always. If you can't make it on this amount, you are not going to make it on that amount. You think you will, but the things that you want also go up when you have more money. Your yearnings will always exceed your earnings. Financial peace is not based on how much money you make. It's based on how much you spend. That's where the peace comes in. How much you spend, not how much you bring in, how much you spend. Financial peace comes not from making more, but it comes from spending less. For some of you, you're like, oh, I don't want to hear this. You got to hear it. Because you need to have some financial peace in your home. That means that no matter how much money you make, It doesn't matter how much money you make, you can be in financial peace. You really can. No matter how much you have, all you have to do is bring your spending in line with how much you make. If you spend less, then you don't have to make more. Hello? Does that sound logical? You can be financially free if you plan your spending. See, one of the areas that we don't do too much planning in is in our shopping. The average American spends 10 hours a week in shopping-related activities. The average. For some of you, that's way too low. You spend way more than that on a week. You're way over that average. You go on online shopping. Home Shopping Network, QVC, catalogs. I mean, you don't even have to leave home anymore. The shopping comes to you. When you think of the time spent shopping, you have to come to the conclusion that the more time you spend shopping, the less time you spend planning. And then you act too quickly. The Bible says in the scripture that I read, if you act too quickly, you will never have enough. What does that mean? You know what the bottom line of that scripture is? It's talking about impulse shopping. Impulse shopping. When you act too quickly, got to have it, and I got to have it now. You go out and you see something and you think it's just so cute or it's just so good, and you just say, I want to buy it. Now, you didn't plan for it. It wasn't in your budget to buy it. You just looked at it and you made an impulse decision and then you acted too quickly. I don't know how many of you along with me have done impulse buying. I'll tell you what impulse buying is. It's always based on emotion. It's based on I see it, I want it, it's not planned, I don't want to think about it, I'm shopping, and I'm going to buy it. That's it. I'm just going to buy it. I don't care if I can't afford it. I'm going to buy it. I was looking at uh, the TV on the uh, airlines as we were going, and they had the Susie Ormond show, and I think some of you have seen that before, where she's a financial uh, analyst, and she was taking call-ins, and so she was... uh, taking different people who were calling in and asking for help in their financial decisions. And one of these, one of the guys called, and he says, "Um, my wife wants to have a right-hand ring, but I don't know if we could afford it. And she says, what is a right-hand ring? He says, well, you know, she has her wedding ring on the the left hand, and now she wants a right-hand ring. And then Susie Orman says, okay, so... What kind of a right-hand ring? He says, well, it's got to be better than the left-hand ring. (laughs) And she says, let me tell you something. You're a nut. (laughs) I started to laugh. I go, that is so funny. Why would he call Susie Orman for financial direction to buy another ring? It's an emotional-based decision. We've all bought something impulsively, and then we regretted it. The problem is this. We live in America, and America is based on capitalism. And capitalism is based on advertising. And all advertising, 100% of all advertising, is built on trying to get you to impulse buy. Every commercial, every ad, every sale is saying, Buy me, buy me, buy me. You're never going to see an ad that says, for the next six months, I want you to think about buying our product. I want you to see if you can put it into your budget and if you can save for it and then six months from now, come back and buy us. You're never going to see that kind of an ad. The ad always says, buy it now, get it now. You have to have it now you can't live without it you need to have it it makes you think whoa how did i ever live without that how did i do it i mean i didn't even know five minutes ago that i needed it but now i need it i really need it you ever just been watching tv and you're fine and then all of a sudden those commercials come on for food and then all of a sudden you're hungry you were fine before the commercial. You didn't even think about food, but all of a sudden you're you're hungry. You gotta order the pizza now. That double dish, double pan, double cheese, double everything. But before that, you were fine. All advertisement is built on getting you to do what the Bible says don't do. Don't impulse buy. Impulse buying is always going to lead you to debt. If you act too quickly, the Bible says, you'll never have enough. See, because advertisers have studied our behavior. (coughs) They know the words, the the right key words that are going to trigger our emotions. And there's one word that gets to everybody. Close. But they want you to buy. Sale. 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 That's all you have to say for some people. Sale. Where? <laughs> Where? If they tell you there's a sale at Kmart, you're like Kmart. Ah, oh, okay, but it's a sale. I'll go. If there's a sale at Macy's, for how long? I want to go. I mean, all you have to word, all you have to say is that one word: sale. It's on sale. So you go. I gotta buy it now, and then. When we come back home with our sale, you, 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 don't, you don't ever say how much you spent. You always say, look at how much I saved. I saved $50. No, but how much did you spend? No, no, no. Look at how much I saved. See, you have already got the advertiser's mentality. They get you. They get you every time. You don't look at how much you're paying. You look at how much you've saved. And we, then we begin to think, if I don't buy it now, it's going to cost more later. i got to buy it now. And then they tell you, this is a once-in-a-lifetime sale. You'll, it'll never happen again, ever. Have you ever been down to Fisherman's Wharf? Some of those stores have been closing for business for the last 25 years. True? True? Every time you go, I go, man, this this store is the longest running store that has been closing for business, and I've been here 27 years, and it's still going out of business. And it doesn't even look like it's even coming close. But everybody that goes by, they're thinking, closing for business? They got sales, and they go in there, and they buy, and they buy, and they buy. Because if we don't buy it now, it's going to cost more later. All the advertisements are against us. Every magazine, every billboard, every radio, every TV ad, they always tell you, buy it now. And I'm telling you, do not impulse buy. Even when you're in the stores, whether it be the grocery store, or whether it be Walmart or Target or any of these stores, they get you too, because you've got all the stuff that you need, and then you're in the checkout counter and you're waiting. And what happens? You got all this stuff here. All this stuff that you didn't even know you needed. But all it's all there. Oh, you know what? I, I need that. I don't oh, I need that too. And you start putting more stuff in your basket when your basket was already full, but hey, you know you got to have this. You didn't even know you needed it before, but now you do. The Bible says, don't do that. Don't impulse buy. Plan your spending. See, a mark of immaturity is found in children. When my kids were little, I would give them money. I think we we used to give them an allowance, and then we found out it didn't quite work, because what would happen is when we gave them money, and we say, okay, this is the money that you're going to have for the next week, or for the next two weeks, or for the next month, and they got money in their hand, and they couldn't wait to spend it. It was like burning a hole in their pocket. Everywhere we went, they wanted to buy something. Wait a minute, don't spend. No, 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 I want to have it. I want it now. So they'd spend all their money on toys that would break in three minutes, candy that would be devoured in five seconds. Whatever they wanted, they would spend the money on it. And then we'd ask them, well, what are you going to do for the rest of the month? You don't have any money now. But see, when they were spying, they weren't thinking of the whole month or the whole week. They were just thinking of now. And then what happens is that after they spend all their money, then they complain. I don't have no money. Can I have money? Mom, money? Dad, money. Well, they couldn't go to dad because dad wouldn't give them money. (laughs) Dad would give them two dollars. That was his famous amount of money. Whenever they would ask him for money, they would say, Dad, could I have some money? $2. dollars He would go, but, but I'm 15. It's OK, $2, dollars. all you get, $2. Dollars. <laughs> you can ask my kids, it's the truth. But let me ask you, do you do that? As soon as you get your paycheck, do you go out and buy? Let's go shopping. Let's go buy this. Let's go to the mall. Let's go to the movies. Let's go out to eat. Let's treat ourselves without even thinking about all the other areas in your life. Even before you got your paycheck, you've already spent it. See, spending is just like any other addiction. Some of you may not want to hear that, but some of you sitting in this room are addicts. You may not have put a needle in your vein. You may not have popped pills. You may not have drank alcohol. You may not have been clubbing, but you're an addict. Shopping and spending is like any other addiction. Because in an addiction, you say, I can handle it. I can deal with it. But pretty soon you're hooked. You're watching every QVC every home shopping, every jewelry. You're at the stores every week. You never stay home. They're ready to give you the crown for the king and queen of Walmart, king and queen of Target. (laughs) You're there so much, you know all the cashiers. Hey, how you doing? You're hooked, and you're in debt. Are you a shopaholic? You know that there's a lot of support groups now for shopaholics. (laughs) There really is, people who can't control their spending. One of them is called Debtors Anonymous. The other one is called Shopper Stopper. (laughs) And they give all of these ways, all these creative ways, to get out of debt and to get past impulse shopping. So there is a story of one of this impulse shopper who used to keep her credit cards in a bowl of water in the freezer. They were frozen. And whenever she would get the urge to spend, she would take this bowl out of the freezer and sit it down because she wanted to use her credit card. And she would have to wait until it melted. Now, for some of you, you're probably thinking, microwave it, dummy. What's wrong with you? then you need to sign up for (laughs) Addicts Anonymous shoppers. Because some of you are thinking, man, that's what I would have done quick. Why do you need to make sure that you understand your addiction? Because whenever you try to beat the system, that means you're already addicted to spending. And if you're trying to figure out ways to get around it, then you really don't understand the principle, God's principles. And you're always trying to see how you can get over it, but you need to understand you need help. So how do you break the habit of impulse spending and overspending? How do you spell relief? Not aids. It's called budget. That's how you spell relief, Budget. A budget is telling your money where you want it to go, not wondering where it went. It's planning your spending. If you don't budget, you're not going to learn how to have God's blessings on your financial life because God says he wants us to learn how to manage our money. See, it's one of the tests of life. It's the test of our character. How do you handle the resources that God gives you? If you want to control your debt, then you have to live by a budget. And this is part of your homework, not part of the altar call, part of your homework. This week you need to go home and you need to make a list. What you own, what you owe, what you earn, and where it's all going. And start figuring out all of your stuff. All your rents and all your mortgage and all your bills. And make sure that you're living by a budget. Make sure that... You're not just spending money because you have extra money in your pocket. Sit down, pray, and ask God for wisdom wisdom and ask him, God, where do you want me to spend the finances that you have given me? Number three, save for the future. The Bible tells us that a mark of wisdom is to be able to save for the future. In Proverbs 21:20, 20, it says, the wise man saves for the future. So how wise are we? The average family in Japan saves 20% of their income. The average family in Europe saves 18% of their income. In the US, we spend 3% more than what we make. We're not doing too good. You know why? Because we have this live for today mentality. We're all into keeping up with the Joneses. If you haven't noticed, the Joneses are bankrupt. The Joneses lost their house, the Joneses lost their car. But you're still trying to keep up, struggling, and not saving. Have any of you ever had ants visit your house just in the last year? We've all had ants, right? We've all. Had them, but have we learned the lesson of the ants? God sends ants to us for a reason. In Proverbs, it says that ants are supposed to teach us a lesson. And once we learn the lesson, I would love to say, God, I learned my lesson. Please don't have ants visit me anymore. But what's the lesson? In Proverbs 6, 6 through 11, it says, Take a lesson from the ants. Now, this is the Bible, it's the message, but it's the Bible. It says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like armed bandits. Statistics have, are showing us that most baby boomers will be broke when they retire. Baby boomers were born from 19, I think, 40 to 1962, 65. That's the baby boomers. The way that the economy is going right now, it says most of them are going to retire with no money. We're not saving anything, and we don't have enough. Why don't we save more? One of the biggest reasons why we don't save more is because of our heart. One of the things that keeps us from saving is envy. It's a comparison. We look around, and we see what people have, and we begin to think. I want that. I want that car. I want that house. I want that coat. I want those shoes. I want this. I want that. So we go after it, and we try to get it. We don't even have to read in the Bible about this, because articles, TV shows, magazines, even newspapers tell us that we have a spirit of envy in America. The spirit of envy is everywhere. Spirit of envy is never satisfied. It's always craving more of what people have. In malls, in neighborhoods, in schools and offices, people are always comparing themselves with others. When you read Us or People magazine, why do we read it? To compare ourselves to the rich, to the famous, to the beautiful, to the thin, to the smart. We're always comparing ourselves. But I want to let you know something. Even the rich are miserable. They really are. I was watching a program where it says how many actors and actresses are losing their homes because they can't afford it. They can't afford that uh, $15,000 mortgage payment anymore, $20,000. Because even for those who are rich, enough is never enough. The truth is all those people that you envy, they're more in debt than you are. They're struggling just like you are. In order to get out of debt, we need to stop comparing, and we need to stop competing, and need to make a decision. I don't care what other people have. I don't care how they live. I don't care what they drive. I'm going to do what is right, and I'm going to live the way that I'm supposed to live, and I'm going to save for my future. The more you have, the more it costs anyway, because you have to have more costs than insurance. And it costs you more to maintain. And it takes more of your time. When we do our financial seminar in January, we're going to do it to help you. And I'm going to do everything in my power. I want to make this financial seminar free. Because I don't want you to have to go into debt to learn how to get out of debt. Your journey groups have been teaching you about stewardship. We even gave out devotional books on finances last Thursday and Friday. If you want God's blessing on your finances, it's really not that difficult. The steps that I'm talking about are pretty easy, but they're difficult to do. you got to keep good records. you got to plan your spending. you got to save for your future. And that's just step one, two, and three. I have four and five, but I'm going to give them to you on Wednesday. Because they're important enough that you need to be able to know that you have to desire. You have to start applying these to your life. For some of you, you need to start making some decisions in your life. Christmas is coming. Plan your spending. If you don't have it, don't spend it. Don't let Christmas come and you're all happy on one day, and then two weeks later when the bills come in January, you're regretting everything you did. Plan your spending. Keep documentation. Save for your future. There's some this morning where you need to learn to stop impulse buying. You need to let God change your heart. Today is Tithing Sunday. And for some of you, you were asking, am I supposed to give my whole check 100% or 90%? That's not what God is asking. You could do it, but that's not what God is asking. God is asking for 10%. He could have asked for 20. He could have asked for 50. He asks for 10. And this being Tithing Sunday, we ask that everybody would tithe. Every person would tithe. Nobody's going to check up on you. We're not going to call your job and say, Did they really give us 10%? We're not going to ask. This is between you and God. But we are going to ask you to tithe. We are going to ask you to give to God what belongs to him. And for some of you, you may be thinking, how spiritual is this? This is probably the most spiritual thing there is. Because Because it connects your money with your heart. It connects your money with your heart, where your heart is. You may be keeping that little stash from your spouse, but you're not keeping it from God. You may be keeping that little stash from your mom and dad. You're not keeping it from God. He knows. And I want to have all the ushers stand. And I want to ask for every person to take an envelope this morning. They're in your bulletins. If you, didn't, if you don't have one in your bulletin then you can raise up your hand but they are in your bulletins. And we're going to ask you this morning to be faithful to what God has given you. Now you can go to any church and that's one thing you're going to hear in every church. Will the usher stand? Well if you were to take $20 to Walmart. Somebody would give you $20 and they'd say, Here, go to Walmart, go buy something. You go, How am I supposed to buy something with $20? That's nothing. But when you come to church, you look at that $20, you go, Man, that's a lot of money to give. <laughs> that's a lot. How's your heart this morning? We're not impulse buying. We're not even impulse giving. We're planning. We're budgeting. We're doing what we can to make sure that you have all the blessings that are owed to you when you put him first. And as every heads bowed and every eye closed, we're going we're gonna to pray this morning. Lord, I pray for every heart this morning, every heart that is seeking to know you. In a-